um, but he is the same person. Man, it is a good day. It is a good day to join the church. It is a good day to be the church. It is a good day to talk about the gospel. And that's what we're doing um, in these five weeks of the season of Easter. We're talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ, the one who died and rose again so that we might get on with living. And, and, and by living, I mean truly living the life that Christ has called us to. Last week, we asked a question. It's a hard question for some people because it's a big question. And that is, what is the gospel? What is the gospel of Jesus Christ? The good news. See, you're the translator in the room. It means good news, right? But also, so last week we talked about in Mark, when Jesus is first introduced, he, his very first words when they say Jesus came to proclaiming the gospel, his very first words are, the kingdom of God has come near. So if anyone ever asks you, do you know the gospel of Jesus Christ? The best answer, the easiest answer is, what? The kingdom of God has come near. That's what Jesus said, and he is the gospel. So hey, I'll take it at his word. That's what he did too in his time on earth. He showed us the gospel. He showed us what it looks like when the kingdom of God comes near to us. That's why so many of his parables, his teaching stories were about the kingdom. The kingdom of God is like, and the parable ensues. And that's what one of his most famous parables is about, the parable of the prodigal son. And so we are actually spending five weeks in the parable of the prodigal son with the son and with his older brother and their father so that we might learn just what it is that the kingdom looks like when it comes near. And so today, we're going to look at Jesus's audience. Context matters. So we're going to look at his audience, the people he was speaking to when he told this parable. And then we're going to actually witness Jesus's words in action in the book of Acts. So first, I want to just read to you, it's three short verses. It's from Luke chapter 15, and it's verses 1 through 3. And this is what we read. Now, all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him, to Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So Jesus told him, this parable. So this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord God, we come to you today excited by the opportunity to sing your praises together, excited by the opportunity to give ourselves to you once again. And so speak to us. God, you know all of us in this room. You know our hearts, you know our fears, you know our failings, you know our hopes, Lord God. And so speak into those today. Speak a word to each of us. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. So there are two types of people in Jesus' audience that day. Sinners, and that includes tax collectors. I think we can all agree on that. <clears throat> and who else? Pharisees. Right, the Pharisees. Now, I'm probably not alone, especially in this story. I, I, I focus a lot on the sinners, right? Because when I think of this story, a lot of times, the prodigal son story, I think mostly of the younger brother. 
I think mostly of the prodigal son. In fact, we named this parable after the prodigal son who lived a life of debauchery and waste and he squandered all the good that his father had given him. Because that's me, right? I'm the prodigal son. I'm the sinner. I'm the one who came home. I'm the one in desperate need of the father's grace. We all know sinners. Don't look anywhere right now. We all know sinners. We're all sinners. But also, I think we all know sinners because we spend a lot of our days trying to point out the sinners around us. Like, I mean, pointing out the sin of others has become a national pastime. We have even managed to turn most of the tremendous life-giving possibilities of our technological advancements into ways that we can just point out the sin of others to other people. This is a great place to find out what sins people are committing, if you'd like. We also, all of us, know tax collectors, unfortunately. But we also know tax collectors, hear me out, because we are all of us tax collectors, in a way. Because you see, in Jesus' day, tax collectors, essentially they had to pay for the right to collect Roman taxes. So to make a living, you had to pay more. You had to collect more than, than the person owed to Caesar. So I'll, I'll make a point. So like, let's say Kenny, he, he owes $10 in taxes. It was a hard year for Ken. Uh, <laughs> he owes $10 in taxes. So I pay Caesar, I pay the Roman government $10 for the right to collect taxes from Kenny. If I only collect $10 from Ken, am I doing well? Can I make a living? No. What do I got to do? Right. If I want to if, if earn a buck, I got to collect how much from Ken? $11, right? So, so you can start to think like, that's why people don't like tax collectors. Because in order for them, their livelihood requires them to overcharge people. <laughs> I'm the guy who makes you have to pay more. But then if you think of it from the tax collector's perspective, I mean, like, they're just trying to put food on the table, right? They're not the bad guys. The system is bad. They're just trying to make a living. And if you're a Jewish tax collector, that's a hard place. Because you have to compromise your moral, your ethical, and sometimes your spiritual compass just to feed your family, just to eat. And if you think about it, at different points in our lives, sometimes at different points in our day, isn't that all of us? Because of where we live and the time in which we live, how many of us, how often do we have to compromise our moral or our ethical of our spiritual compasses just to get by in the world, just to do our job, just to provide for ourselves and our families? It's not that we're the bad guys. We just live, unfortunately, in a bad system. We're all sinners. And we're all tax collectors <laughs> of a sort. What about the other group listening to Jesus' story that day? The Pharisees. Jesus and the Pharisees, if you've read any of the Gospels, seem to be quite a bit at odds during the three years that the kingdom was nearest to us. But that's because Jesus and the Pharisees, they actually came from the same world. You see, the, the Pharisees, they were a group of prominent Jews who believed in the importance of the word of God. Fancy that. 
They believed that what was written in Scripture was important. And so they were focused on teaching and leading, not just in the temple, but throughout, throughout Jerusalem, throughout the communities and synagogues across the ancient world. They wanted to get God's message back into people's lives. Like them, Jesus came to earth to get God's message, the word of God, back into people's lives. He inhabited the same Jewish world as the Pharisees. But while Jesus focused on grace, the Pharisees hyper-focused on the 613 laws in the Torah. In a way, the leading Pharisees became like professional sin managers for the Jewish people, pointing out all the ways that the people were breaking Jewish laws, which means really they're pointing at everybody. Because if you even want to follow half of those 613 laws, it means you're breaking the other half. In fact, the word Pharisee comes from the Hebrew word perushim, which means those who are separate. Because those Pharisees, so often they were focusing on the food laws that kept them from sharing tables and meals with the common Jewish people. They were separating themselves. So you can see why the Pharisees react how they do to Jesus, who looks and sounds a lot like them, but not only is he welcoming sinners, but he's what? He's eating with them. Eating with them. Sinners and Pharisees should not be eating at the same table, and yet here is Jesus telling a story to both of them. A story, by the way, that ends in an argument over who should be invited to the table. Well, there's another story we want to talk about today. Um, Donna introduced it to us. It's probably more famous, I think, than the prodigal son, at least in Hank Williams' mind it is. It's about the day that the apostle Paul literally saw the light, who was still in Scripture going by his Hebrew name, Saul. Saul, by the way, he has the dubious distinction of being both an amazing Pharisee and an amazing sinner. (laughs) Plus, he's the most prolific gospel sharer possibly ever. So this is Paul's story. It's from Acts 9. It's a lot, but it's a good story, so you're going to hear it. Acts 1 through 19. It happened some years after the Pharisees and others managed to manage Jesus all the way to the cross. Meanwhile, so meanwhile, in in the book of Acts, all this amazing gospel sharing stuff and Jesus sharing stuff and miracles are happening with the new disciples. And meanwhile, Saul still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest. And he asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any who belonged to the way, that's what Christians were called back at the beginning, followers of the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he was going along and approaching Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground, and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he asked, Who are you, Lord? The reply came, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, because they heard the voice, but they saw no one. So Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus, and for three days 
he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now, there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he answered, Here I am, Lord. That's what you're supposed to answer with, by the way, if you ever hear God calling your name. Here I am, Lord. You can even sing it. The Lord said to him, Get up and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. At this moment, Saul is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who invoke your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is an instrument who I have chosen to bring my name before Gentiles and kings and before the people of Israel. I myself will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias went and entered the house. He laid his hands on Saul and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on your way, has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately, something like scales fell from his eyes, and his sight was restored, and he got up, and he was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. That's a good story. It's our story so often. But So here is Paul, Saul, Saul. He is a Pharisee among Pharisees. Like he knew the word. He knew what God required of God's people. He knew the laws. And so he set about managing the Jewish people's sin with all that he had. Like he managed the sins of Jesus' followers, the followers of the way, all the way to their graves. His hyper focus on sin management was literally killing people. In a way, you could say Saul fancied himself a tax collector. He was just collecting a sin tax. And in the process, this Pharisee among Pharisees became a sinner among sinners. But this is the beauty of the gospel, right? Here is the beauty that happens when the kingdom comes near. Here is what happened when Jesus came near Saul. Saul, this person who made a living of keeping people away from God, keeping them away from the bounty of God's table. Jesus invited Saul to that table personally. You see, Saul, he thought he was protecting God's table from sinners. But really, he was just separating himself more and more from the Lord's table until Jesus had to come in and perform an intervention, until Jesus helped Saul see the what? Light. You, didn't, you could have said that with like a twang, just a little bit. See the light. But see, here's the cool thing. That's, that's usually the end of the story as we tell it, right? I saw the light done. But that's not the end of the story in Scripture. Just like the sinners weren't the only ones in the audience when Jesus was telling his story. Just like the younger brother isn't the only sinner in the prodigal's parable. There's another half of this story, another character, another sin manager. Because after we're introduced to the one who breathed out murder on the disciples, we get introduced to a disciple in Damascus named what? Ananias. God called to Ananias. He's a good disciple because he knew the answer. 
When God called, just like Abraham and Jacob and Moses and Samuel and Isaiah and Jeremiah, Ananias said what? Here I am. And then this is my favorite. This has to be like one of my favorite moments in Scripture because like sometimes the Bible gets ridiculously specific and it does right here. Ananias, go to this house on Straight Street. How many other addresses do we get (laughs) in the Bible? (laughs) Go to Straight Street. And heal Saul from his blindness. Bring Saul to the table. And Ananias says, sure, I'm on it, right? No. (laughs) Ananias, like Saul, gets busy managing sin. Ananias, like Saul, gets busy deciding who is and who isn't invited to the table. Ananias answers, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. Don't you know who this is, Lord? Don't you know what he's done? Don't you know the rules he has broken? How could you want me to heal him? How could you want me to invite him to your table? Lord, this guy? Pharisees and disciples eating together? You see, it happens to all of us. It happens to the best of us. And the only reason we sinners are at t- Jesus' table to begin with is because of the unmerited, amazing grace of God the Father. And yet once we get to the table, how often do we come like, become like the Pharisees? Like Saul, or like Ananias, or like the older brother? How often do we start managing other people's sins? How often do we start deciding who gets to come to the table? I mean, Saul knew the Old Testament forward and backward. He knew all the stories of God's grace, of God continually inviting people who doubted, who turned against him, who broke his rules, of God choosing to invite to the table the very people that God's chosen people didn't think deserved to be there. Did that make sense? God inviting the very people that the God's chosen people thought didn't deserve to be at the table, God invited those people where? To the table. And yet Saul thought it was his responsibility to put an end to the people he didn't think belonged. And yet one of those very people, Ananias then, thought it was his responsibility not to heal a person he didn't think belonged at God's table. When Jesus was on earth, when the kingdom was near, when Jesus was showing us what it looks like when the kingdom comes near to us, what did he spend most of his time doing? Inviting people to the tables that the people at the table didn't think belonged there. (laughs) That's what Jesus did. He did that to the point that people who thought they were already at the table put an end to Jesus, or tried. Friends, these are famous stories. Like, you know them without even reading them because they're just out there. And when I think, when I read the story of the prodigal son, it actually makes me feel good to think of myself as a sinner or a tax collector. When I read the story of Saul, it makes me feel good to think of myself as the one lying on the ground, blinded by the light, receiving all of Jesus' grace. But friends, by virtue of the fact that I am in here today, by virtue of the fact that I said, here I am, Lord, to this awesome calling that allows me to preside over the Lord's table, Friends, I'm the Pharisee. I'm the older brother. I'm not Saul on the road to Damascus. I'm Ananias. Saying they don't belong. It makes me wonder, how much of my time do I spend trying to manage what I think is someone else's sin 
how much of my time do I spend keeping other people away from the table, and in so doing, how much of my time is spent saying no to God? Because when I say no to someone else, I'm saying no to God's grace. When Ananias' story tells us of the beauty of what is happens if we only say yes to all God's people coming to the table. This is what happens when we say yes to God. Ananias went. He entered the house. He laid his hands on Saul like we laid our hands, right, on Adeline today. He said, Brother Saul, Sister Adeline, <laughs> the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on your way here has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and his sight was restored and he got up and he was what? <laughs> Baptized. And after taking some what? <laughs> Food. Those are our sacraments, baptism and communion. <laughs> he regained his what? <laughs> his strength. That's why we come to the table that we might regain our strength. You see, friends, when we say yes to Jesus, when we say yes to following the way of Jesus, we don't say yes to becoming professional sin managers, professional sin tax collectors. When we say yes to Jesus, we say yes to inviting all God's people to the table, not just the ones that we think are chosen. We say yes to inviting all God's people to the table and then getting out of the way so that the Holy Spirit might heal them and might fill them, right? Ananias didn't turn Paul, Saul. Ananias didn't change Saul. Who changed Saul? The Holy Spirit. We just got to get out the way. So people might be baptized into the family of God, into the body of Christ, so they might join us at the table and take some food with us. Amen? Amen.